This is Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 KYNO. Well, good morning and welcome to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host on our Valley's most informative real estate talk show. This hour is being brought to you by the Fresno Association of Realtors. And the goal that we have is to provide our listeners with the real facts and the real stats about our local market and some really good information on how to work in the real estate industry. Um, so and to that end, today we have with us Louis Coronado. Good morning, Louis. Good morning, Don. Thanks for having me. All right. Louis's not a realtor, nor a lender, or a pest inspector, but you are a an attorney that works in, with landlord-tenant law. And a lot of confusion out there right now. In fact, um, about a year ago, during after COVID had started and all the, these moratoriums were set up, um, I was in a group that listened to an attorney describing all the new rules, all the new laws, what you can, can't do. Afterwards, as I was leaving, the, the another real estate broker, longtime broker, called me over and said, hey, Don, did you understand any of that? And I had to say, honestly, I didn't. I did not. It's gotten so confusing. So, hence, Louis Coronado's here today to make it simple for us. Is that possible? I don't know, Don. It is. It has become very complicated, and, and it has changed since the pandemic started in 2020 and AB 1482, and it's just cause requirements. Uh, the federal government, the state government, the city government, they've all come in with their various rules, and not all of them are the same. So every type, every type of eviction requires that you look at you know, who the tenant is, what type of property it is, when the lease was started. All these things have to be considered individually. There's no longer this blanket rule that says, okay, yes, it's a 30-day, it's a 60-day, or it's a three-day. So I myself have uh, been a housing provider, also known as a landlord uh, or property owner, for many, many years. And I, I needed an attorney during an unlawful detainer when I had to go to court. But the transaction part of it, I was able to handle on my own. I will be the first to admit, I don't think I could do that anymore without the advice of an attorney. That's true. I think before you get to the unlawful detainer, which is the, the court filing, you have to file notices before that, and they have to be the right notice. And if it's missing particular language, and if it's a 60-day notice and you file that unlawful detainer, that court may kick that eviction out after you've expended a large sum of money and time. So it is important to make sure that you do have the right notice, the right language, because there's a lot of different versions of notices floating around out there. Yeah, and I saw uh, or experienced one where uh, you have to have on there a notice that, uh, uh, that I'm exempt from... Uh, certain rules of AB 1482 and, and so without that proper notice and that one paragraph language in there that I can't even understand <laughs> um, 
it, it's not a valid form then. That's right. AB 1482, which went into effect in January of 2020, uh, designated that certain properties, certain tenants, after they've been in the property for over a year, uh, in order to just simply terminate the tenancy, you had the landlord had to have just cause. Uh, just cause, and there's only three different types of just cause that's permissible. And these are no fault just causes. Certainly, if a tenant breaches a rental agreement uh, or does something illegal, that can always be terminated without any particular uh, requirement. Uh, but the just cause require the no fault just cause requirements are limited to situations where the landlord wants to move a family member back into the property or the landlord simply wants to withdraw the property from the rental market or the landlord wants to wants to do substantial remodeling which would require the tenant to vacate for 30 days the work has to be that extensive um, but there's also exemptions to this and and the first exemption is single-family residences, which I think for most smaller landlords is usually what they're typically renting out. Um, the tricky part about this AB 1482 is that if you had a lease in existence before it went into effect uh, as of June, July 1st of 2020, if you had the lease already in effect, you had to send out notification that you want to continue this non-exempt status for the single-family residence. Um, and then any leases entered into after July of 2020, if you did not have that exclusion language for that single-family residence, which was otherwise exempt from this just cause requirement, if you forgot to put it in that lease, that property is now subject to AB 1482 just cause requirements. Can you subsequently give that notice no, no. It ha the law states that for any leases, either renewed or signed after July of 2020, that exemption language had to be within the lease itself. You cannot put it in until you redo the lease, essentially. So what if it's not a lease? It, it was a lease. Now it's gone month to month because they've been there for years. Um, is at the end of the month considered renewing? Let's say you're going to give them a, a new one-year lease. Can you do it at that time? Well, I have not tested this case. This is law that, again, has only been around for a year and a half. I've not seen anything come up on a pellet rule. Uh, it's a very good legal argument. Um, so I, I'm not sure the answer to that okay. question. And that's a fair answer. Th and thank you. Um, <clears throat> some of my questions, as you're going to find out, are not going to be easy ones. <laughs> right. And it probably would take a little bit longer than this show to give you a, a good answer. Yeah. Thanks to AB 1482. Right. Right. You know, it's funny um, how some of these new laws come around to supposedly protect the, the tenants, and yet I, it seems like they harm them more. I mean, it, there's um, e even like the Rent Stabilization Act. Uh, they're saying that rents have really spiraled out of control and are going up, up, and up. Well, that started the same time rent stabilization started. It, so kind, kind of an ironic twist there. Yeah, you know, I've heard the argument that rent control in the long term discourages 
development or investment in that industry, and therefore you uh, shrink the size of the potential rental market. So I, I can see that argument. Uh, I think short term, obviously, rent stabilization can help a tenant from being evicted at that particular moment, but is trying to deal with a problem that's you know nationwide is probably going to take a little more uh, thoughtful solution. So going back to that just cause thing, you, you said one of the three things that is a just cause is if you wanted to do substantial remodeling. Um, so you can actually ask or give notice to a tenant to move if it's substantial. Well, it, it can be substantial, but there's a good paragraph as to what that means in the code. And essentially what it means, it, this has to be that which is required to maintain the property's habitability. It cannot be cosmetic. So those are the two broad spectrums of what is and what is not substantial. Essentially, uh, if it's just short of being condemned, I think it would f qualify for substantial remodeling. And then again, the work has to require the tenant to vacate the premises for 30 days. So in other words, if it was a plumbing repair that only took a week to repair, I don't think that falls under the substantial remodel, no fault, good cause, just cause eviction. That brings up a good point when you say it takes a week or it takes 30 days. Is it the landlord's responsibility to put them up in alternative housing, such as a hotel? The contract of a lease says that the landlord has to provide the tenant with that residence, um, the contract, uh, if they if the place burnt down through nobody's fault of them of anyone's, uh, and it was destroyed and it was not going to take it was not going to uh, be rebuilt anytime soon, more than likely the contract would be over at that point, and neither party would be obligated to each other anymore. Uh, and then anything short of a complete destruction premises, it, it, it depends on what is the, you know, what the lease says. I would say, though, legally, technically, the landlord is not obligated to pay, put them up in housing. It is something that landlords will do um, just because it's probably good business. But the tenant just simply will not be charged for the amount of time that the tenant is not unable to live in that residence and that's really contractually the extent of the landlord's liability is not to be able to collect rent during that period of time. You use the term it's good business and I, I love that because for years and years and years that's how you had to run the business. You, you, it was a mutual respect thing. If you had good tenants you kept the rent low because you want them to stay. Um, you kept the repairs up because not only because you want them to stay, but uh, I always use the example, I'd rather fix it when it's a $100 problem rather than a $1,000 problem. And let's say a drippy P-trap under a kitchen sink. That, that's very inexpensive to fix. But if it stays for six months, a year, now you've rotted out the cabinets. Now it, it's a bigger thing. That's true. I mean, it's it's... As a, an attorney who handles landlord-tenant issues, you usually only come across the relationships that have gone south. But I have to remember that there are probably many, many more that are done very successfully. And it's because landlords 
have developed great relationships with their tenants. It's not adversarial. It, it's mutual. The landlord has a vested interest in protecting that property, and any good landlord knows that he better he should respond to a leak because it's his property that's going to subject be subject to further damage if it's not repaired quickly. Hmm. And speaking of good relations, uh, there was a tenant I had. He's no longer with us. He's now up above, um, but. Every month, he, he used to, one of his jobs was to deliver the San Francisco Chronicle. So he'd bring his rent, in, rent check in with a copy of the sports page of the Chronicle. And he goes, there you go. Giants beat the Dodgers again. So he just knew how to, how to get to me. Okay, with that, we're going to go to our first commercial break. But stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 KYNO. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and we're talking here with Louis Coronado, who is an attorney that specializes in landlord-tenant law. And um, interesting topic because so much has changed. Even before the COVID pandemic came about, there was a lot of changes that came about legislatively. Uh, and then uh, two months later, COVID hits, and uh, that has changed a lot. And, of course, there were federal laws, state laws, local city laws. Um, can you give us an overview? Where are we at now, and where are we going to be? Well, like you said, we started out with, I think the city of Fresno had their emergency proclamations. The governor had his own uh, proclamations. The CDC had their moratorium. The CARES Act federally also had a moratorium uh, most if not all the federal moratoriums are no longer with us uh, the state uh, moratorium the last version of it came out in October of last year and essentially what that does re still mandate is that any evictions based upon non-payment of rent the landlords must before they can file their eviction with the court must submit uh, the amount demanded in that notice to the local rental assistance agency. And then should that application be approved, of course, the landlord would be paid. Conversely, if the tenant does not comply with their part of the application or their application is denied for their own financial reasons, then at that time the, the landlord can file the eviction. That mechanism is scheduled to expire March 31st of this year, meaning that after that, any rent due and a landlord is no longer required to submit their uh, a rental assistance application. Um, we have been, we have seen these moratoriums change and get extended for about four or five different iterations. Uh, so I would not be surprised if there is another uh, version that is uh, put into place after March 31st, but we just have to wait and see. I imagine whether or not that happens it depends on whether or not there's any additional funding for the rental assistance program. So that's city of Fresno. What, what if the home is in Fowler, um, Clovis, or Fresno County? The rental assistance uh, requirement is statewide, uh, not just the city of Fresno. They have their own rental assistance program. Every, every 
county probably has one. If the county doesn't have their own, then the state has a program. So that's a statewide. It doesn't matter what county you're in in California. If you want to evict someone for non-payment of rent, you have to submit a rental assistance application to that applicable agency. What's the time frame on that? Well, it's all over the place. I think as these agencies ran down from their funding and then was replenished with funding, it's changed. The last I've heard, I've heard one landlord say it's been about five weeks since they submitted their application and they had not heard it had whether or not it's been approved or not. So, and some are much quicker. Some got paid in shorter time than that. So it's not a, it's not a even bag. And there's several different agencies I know operating within the city of Fresno. I, I, the city of Fresno has an agency, like three or four different agencies that all do the same rental assistance processing. Some are a little better at it than others. I've been told. So let's go back in time and, and tell me if I, if my memory is correct on how it used to be and how you could uh, do this. So let's say rent was due on the first, delinquent on the fifth, which was pretty typical. On the sixth day, you could give a three-day notice to pay rent or quit. Um, So by the ninth or the tenth, depending on weekends, you could actually begin the Unlawful Detainer Act, which means, hey, um, you have uh, breached the contract. You have failed to pay your rent on time. That could t- that unlawful detainer process was usually what three weeks, maybe four weeks. So if somebody didn't pay rent, let's say on March first, by at least by the middle of April, you could have them out. But that does n- that's not the case anymore, is it? No, there was a couple of laws that went into play that were not necessarily COVID related. And one was the three day notices. You could no longer count weekends at all. Uh, also, when you serve the actual unlawful detainer, uh, you could not count weekends. So that extended the process on its own. And then of course, now that we have the rental assistance uh, application process where you have to wait 20 days to see whether or not the tenant responds before you even file the thing. So yeah, right now, the an eviction in Fresno County from the time you file the unlawful detainer, which is after your notice has expired, uh, is about six to seven weeks um, on top of probably at least three weeks waiting for your three-day notice to uh, run its course. So if a landlord is to run this as a good business, they need to save some money because uh, if things go sideways, it could take much longer now to uh, collect any rent, any income on that business. So it's almost like they have to raise the rent to be able to cover that expense. Yeah, um, I mean, I think what is what I have seen a lot is the landlords are working with their tenants, especially earlier on during the pandemic where there was a lot of financial protection. So they probably were not going to um, have that tenant removed anyways. And I, I do want to add that you know, I thought that there would just be this large amount of tenants who just would not pay, but it has been, I mean, one is too many. If you own one rental and one, he's not paying, that's 100% of your income. But those who do have the larger number of rentals, it was a very small number percentage-wise, um, something like 5%. So in spite of the protections and the ability to perhaps avoid your financial responsibilities, most people chose to fulfill their contractual obligations. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you go back to good business, 
Yeah, so I kind of, I, you brought that up earlier, and I think that'll be the theme of today is make it good business. And that's from the tenant side and the landlord side. It's a mutual agreement. Make it good, make it a good relationship. I had somebody come to me and good tenant, been there a long time. I, I want to see them do well. And she said, you know, I, I got uh, laid off my job for this. I got another job, but kind of starting over. Um, but And she's not working as many hours. I said, okay, for a cu couple of months, I readjusted her rent. But I said, can you do us both a favor? Take that extra time that you have, put it in back into the yard. Remember how it used to be? Get it back there. And that non-operating vehicle, uh, now that you're working again, maybe you got some money to, to get it fixed and, and moved or something uh, or get it sold. And um, th there was a mutual respect, and that ended up being good business because the yard looks good again. Uh, <clears throat> no comment on the vehicle. But <laughs> it, um, but I, I want them to stay. I, yeah. I, I want that to be their home. Right. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, you were able to shift uh, them helping you out, not necessarily monetarily, but at least, you know, some other, you know, less tangible means of improving the condition of the premises, you know, so that was like a good decision. And, and you know, um, if they get back on their feet in a month or two, it's probably better that you try to work with them and keep them there because it is very expensive to remove somebody. And then you're still stuck with the prospect of trying to find someone who's as equally financially sound to go back in there, you may, who knows, wind up putting someone back in there and wind up doing the same thing two months now from them, from now. But, uh, so yeah, better to, uh, you know, you never know what you're going to wind up with. You might want to just stick with the tenant you have now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, my grandmother used to say that, it, you know what you have, <laughs> you don't know what you're going to get. Right. What is, what is the one and one, two in a hand, one in a hand, two in the bush, something like that. That's right. Um, one of my, the, the worst stories I've heard, I have a, an uncle who is, uh, he was self-employed for many, many years. Um, so he, he acquired three rental properties, and that is a good part of his retirement income. And he's in his 80s now. And he's disabled. He's legally blind. And a tenant who also was retired and had an income from a pension and Social Security. So he didn't lose his income during the pandemic. He went 16 months without paying him. And he, all he said was, hey, there's an eviction moratorium. You can't get rid of me. So, you know, there's a guy, take, and he ne never proved he was sick or that he was impacted by COVID, but he was protected by the law. That's right. I mean, the the moratoriums were put in place to protect those people who didn't have the financial wherewithal to go somewhere else. But I think that that moratorium also, as with any law that kind of tries to do everything for everybody, it did not protect those vulnerable landlords who relied upon the income for their own day-to-day -day expenses. Uh, there was a component to these moratoriums that allowed them to seek if there was a mortgage on that rental property that the landlord could seek some sort of forbearance, but if it was free and clear, um, you know, that was a problem. What I have seen 
is it has forced a lot of those landlords who needed that cash flow to sell the property. And so, and there you are able to do that. Even with the rent uh, moratorium, you could still sell the property and no longer be a landlord. So that unfortunately would have been something he could have done, mm-hmm. have to do. Okay, with that, we're going to go to our next commercial break, but stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 KYNO. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and here in the studio with us today, we have Louis Coronado, a landlord-tenant uh, attorney. How can people get a hold of you, Louis? You want me to give you my phone number? Yeah. <laughs> or e- email. Well, I, email coronadolouis at yahoo.com. Uh, in, I have a web page. You can just Google me. I'm sure I'll pop up there somewhere. Uh, I have an office in Clovis. Give me a call. We can hopefully help you out or at least point you in the right direction. Thank you. But but do remember, if you listen to Welcome Home Radio today or the podcast later in the week, it's free. That's right. <laughs> so um, uh, what... What happens when you have a occupant, a tenant of a property that's causing problems? Maybe uh, bad activity, bad, uh, late night parties, or vicious dogs. Or, or So it, it has nothing to do with paying the rent. But what can a landlord do? Well, any violation of the lease, any substantial violation of the lease, uh, so as long as your lease says no dogs or limits the number of occupants uh, and a lot of them all of them have you know obey all laws and not be a nuisance things like that those are typically remedied uh, under three-day notices and so the issue is is it curable or not if the guy is playing his radio too loud and the neighbor's complaining you have it's a curable thing in other words he could stop doing that so you have to serve him a three-day notice to perform or quit and you referenced you know what happened and when it happened and it says you've got to stop that in three days, otherwise you're going to get evicted. And if he happens to continue playing that music, the next step is you give him a three-day notice to quit. He no longer has a chance to cure it. And then if he doesn't get out in three days, then you file that unlawful attainer, which does take about six to seven weeks to complete. It is kind of important, especially under the moratorium where a lot of protection has been in Uh, afforded to the tenants that these breaches are substantial it's going to be difficult for a judge to put someone out in the street you know just because their music is a little loud and that's kind of a subjective thing too maybe the next door neighbor is a 95 year old person who doesn't like music in the middle of the day well the judge may not see it that way so I probably would say I would probably make sure that we have a substantial breach before we spend monies and get you in front of a judge uh, and come back with a di- uh, unfavorable ruling. So, but certainly, you know, unfortunately, I've had situations where there's been some very severe violent situations, and when it's that bad, um, shooting, those are not curable. The, the person does not get a three-day to perform or quit. The person gets a three-day notice to quit, and if they're if they are there on day four, the eviction started immediately. Now, of course, if it's really bad, they're usually arrested, and they're not even there anyways. They're probably in jail but that doesn't terminate their tenancy, you still have to go to the legal process to terminate their tenancy. There may be other occupants there as well. And that's the other thing too. I mean, if I've had situations where it's the adult child of the named tenant in the lease who did this stupid thing. Well, the landlord's got an obligation to protect 
other members in the complex, next door neighbors, and unfortunately, the co-tenants are liable for the, the bad conduct of the other co-tenants. So they've got to make sure that in, in family situations, you can't pick them. But before you sign a lease with somebody, you better make sure they're not going to do something that's going to jeopardize your own ability to stay there because everybody will go by the bad conduct of a single tenant. I got you. When you said put them out on the streets, there are, uh, and this is a little commentary now from the host, and that is sometimes you have to be, the tenant has to be resilient. I ran across a case uh, recently. One of my clients wanted, needed, needed, not wanted, needed to sell a property. And the tenant says, well, I have nowhere to go. And I thought, well, gosh, for being a single person with one child, there's a lot of places you could go. There, you know, here was a four-bedroom home. But the problem is she had also moved in four large dogs. Uh, uh, so that kind of takes out apartments out of the, the future equation. She also had two non-operating vehicles that there was nowhere to store. And then a lot, a lot of storage in the house uh, and the yard uh, and the front yard. So it's like, yeah, where do you move all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, it's always tough for the for the tenants who've been there for many, many you know, decades, and we all accumulate stuff, and that is hard to downsize. I mean, shoot, uh, when I move, I'll be kind of challenged to figure out what I'm going to do with all the stuff I've collected over the years. I'm sure my daughter doesn't want it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, but, but the point I'm trying to make there is sometimes the, if the situation happens to where you need to move, you may have to downsize, which means not take so much stuff with you. Uh, and um, Or maybe you have to pay more. But there are options. It's not just the streets. It's not just homelessness. That's true. It's, you do have to make adjustments. I mean, sometimes, even before the pandemic, before all this happened, you know, things happen in people's lives and they and it forces them to make decisions and, and sometimes it is that uh, economic pressure that makes those decisions for you and and most I think most people will make the right decision and, and foresee it and, and plan accordingly but there are some folks whose planning is not that great and will allow the problem to fester or maybe they're late payers and rent and, and jeopardizing their ability to stay there but yet if they just would perhaps clean the yard, not become problematic in other areas that the landlord who doesn't really want to spend the money to evict you could oversee some of those late payments. But, you know, there's a, there's a saying that says when you're walking on eggshells, one shouldn't hop. And that's kind of what I think applicable here that, you know, if you're struggling and you need help, don't make yourself unbearable. <laughs> okay. I like that. Yeah. Because in good business, it, with a landlord who's looking at, perf at doing this right, doing good business, it's not just the money. It's also what you're doing to the neighborhood. Um, if you got unoperative cars, tall weeds, rubbish, trash out there, it, it's more than just the money. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I had a, a client who owned several properties in the neighborhood, uh, and we had to evict one of the tenants, and, you know, she was getting calls from people that she knew 
in that same neighborhood and you know it's not just a matter of money but it's also just the embarrassment of saying hey you own this property and you've got this problem and you need to take care of it so she had to so yeah it's not it's it's they're concerned about the neighborhood and the well-being and not just the land they own but the the neighbors themselves i had a home one time where i and i'm gonna say the yard was on par with the neighborhood rented to some people who loved to get out there and and I, I used to drive by that house all the time just because I was so proud of it. Do you think I was going to raise their rent? No way. I, I wanted them to stay. Um, they made that. They took it from average in the neighborhood to probably one of the top two or three in the neighborhood. Right, right. Well, that, you know, I, I mentioned before that, yeah, most tenancies, landlord-tenant relationships are very, very successful. It's the ones that are problematic, unfortunately, that we remember. Now, those relationships, are, is that with the mom and pops or can that be so also with the bigger um, corporate ownership? You know, the California Apartment Association, which is the statewide organization that I think is the premier gold standard of, of uh, advising landlords about how to conduct their business, they. I remember reading an article they had kicked out about, and they were dealing with uh, site management for large complexes and how they should create activities, uh, social type of encounters with these tenants, create a sense of community because it, it was found that when you did that, that there, there's an investment in that property on both sides of that contract. And it really, it, it makes for a better uh, business relationship and as well as just getting along so that when things come up that are a little strenuous, you have an avenue, you have this dialogue already with somebody. And uh, I, I think there's, there's a tendency since we have, it's a business relationship and it's a contract that we should be a little formal, a little standoffish and you know, you are this person and that's your role, but now you're, you live in the same community, your neighbors, just like when you come home, you wave at your neighbor next door. Why aren't you doing it with the, with the on-site, why isn't the on-site manager doing it with the tenants that are there? Well, I think it's because it's this contract, but I think ultimately I think it's better off to look at them as, as your neighbors rather than con your, your business partner, so to speak. I still remember the day that the, uh, I was talking to one of my tenants. I was there at the house on a repair issue, and he said, Don, he goes, isn't this crazy? It was one of the COVID things where they only had to pay 25% of the rent. Yep. He goes, how could anybody do that to you? It, it, you know, and I knew this he, right then. This is a good, uh, good yeah. guy because he was able to not, he was in there. He could have just paid 25%, but no, it, uh, he realized that I'm just a person too. And I rely on that income. Right. So, right. and, uh, haven't raised his rent either. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, a lot of programs can be subject to to abuse, fraud, things like that. Um, it was the way the thing was passed and the, the, the how fast it was passed that probably could have been made a little better. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of requirement that a tenant show any proof. Uh, just you sign a document and boom, you're entitled to the, the rent waiver. Yeah. Um, so what's your prediction? When are we going to go back to normal where maybe the, the COVID restrictions aren't uh, dictating good business? Well, right now, the state's uh, requirement that landlords submit to rental assistance, that's supposed to expire on March 31st. Uh, after that, 
you know, again, these moratoriums have been extended previously, so I would just have to wait to see what April 1st looks like to tell, before I can tell you what exactly it's going to look like. Um, but if I were a betting man, I, I would say that there's a good chance it might be extended out. Um, so, but we are getting back to normal. I know that the governor's calling what we have now in California an endemic, which is more of a geographical thing rather than a regional thing rather than a uh, international type of, of uh, problem. So that's, I think we're just going to have to become accustomed with dealing with this uh, disease as well as the financial impact of it. Um, I do know that there's a lot of big, big changes in the real estate market because of this. Landlords haven't gotten paid, and a lot of landlords are getting out of the business. Um, but there's certainly, those properties aren't sitting vacant for long. They're going to be rented out. I understand that that's pushing up rental prices, um, which is another subject matter. And when we get back from this next commercial break, I want to talk to you about uh, the question I'm going to have for you is, so a landlord decides that I can't handle this anymore. I need to get out. How do they get, how do they sell it? So, uh, Keep that in mind, and we will be back from our next com uh, commercial break. So stay tuned. Well, welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and here in the studio, we have Mr. Louis Coronado, who is an attorney uh, that specializes in landlord-tenant law. And best question of the day just happened. And Louie asked me during the break, how can I hear this? It is, I guess your wife is traveling, and so um, uh, how can she do it? So if you go to uh, kynofresno.com, K-Y-N-O-Fresno.com, uh, with probably two to three minutes after the show's over, it'll, the podcast will be loaded into, uh, into there. Or... Uh, you can go to, but this, you got to wait till Monday on this one. If you go to FresnoRealtors.com, uh, the podcasts are loaded there and kept there for months. So, Louie, you can even go and listen to this every day for the next few months. Do I have to pay you royalties? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe just some free advice might be good. <laughs> one thing I'm realizing from today's show is this isn't the old days i i may have a ton of experience but i need legal legal help it, it's not easy anymore because so there, there's so many what ifs you, you know what if i didn't give them a, a a notice of exemption what if i did what is just cause it, it used to be every contract whether it was to purchase a home, enter escrow, whether it was to rent a home, whether it was to an employment contract, every contract has to have an ending date. But it doesn't sound like that anymore in tenancy. No, and you probably know this better than I do, that there are some counties here in California that do have some pretty substantial rent control that require landlords to be landlords for at least up to five years and and there are many proposals that want to implement that here locally and i don't know what the future looks like but i think it's going to be 
a little more tenant favorable down the road uh, if one has to, if one's wants to predict that just seems to be the trend yeah so that brings up a good question let's say john and mary doe have owned a rental home for several years and they say you know i we we got to sell you know our, our age is getting up there we can't handle this anymore so we need to sell it they have a tenant in there who's not cooperative, um, doesn't want to leave. What can they do? What, what, how do they go about selling the home? But let me preface it with this. The home will sell for substantially more money if it's vacant and cleaned up. If it's encumbered with a tenant, especially one that has non-operative cars four dogs all right it, that's not going to sell for as much so what can a uh, an owner a property owner do to exercise their bundle of rights their property rights well i guess the first question would be determining whether or not this property is is subject to the uh just cause requirements of ab 1482 so i'd probably be asking him a series of questions such as do we have Section 8 tenants? Is this a single-family residence? Is this a, a, a condo owned in an apartment complex? Or is this one unit of an apartment complex that they own collectively? So all these things get down to the issue of whether or not we do need to submit a just cause. Um, if it is just cause and it's a no fault of the tenant, which it wouldn't be because the, the tenant is not at fault for the landlord wanting to sell the property, uh, you are probably going to be required to um, waive one month's rent as relocation uh, expense uh, reimbursement. That's required by law. Um, but yeah, I think when it comes to selling the property, it would probably fall under the uh, withdrawal of the premises from the rental uh, market because um, I've, the cases that I've been involved in is that the tenants, for whatever reason, have frustrated the sale process where they were interfering with the landlord coming on to do uh, inspections, appraisals, uh, even showings of the property, which by law and by contracts typically a, a tenant's required to do. So yeah, that, that can result in, in uh, just simply saying, well, we're gonna pull it off the market because that is instrumental in, in the sale of the property. And then there's the battle between buyer and seller. I mean, the seller sometimes doesn't want to deal with that and will sometimes adjust the price so that the buyer deals with that and the tenant shifts over into into the uh, the buyer's position. So uh, that's usually the conflict I get involved in. They're right in the middle of an escrow and they want to figure out what we're going to do with this tenant. And it, it's important that you make those decisions before you sign the contract because sometimes buyers aren't willing to you know waive time on escrow so before you find yourself uh, into a sale situation and you need to deal with a tenant get a hold of someone like myself and make sure that uh, you know that you can have enough time to accomplish what you need to do to accommodate that sale i had one recently where um uh, uh, some kids inherited a property and there were squatters in the property i think you know this one louis <laughs> and um they wouldn't get out. And I was talking to the lady saying, you know, hey, uh, you're eventually gonna have to move out. Why don't you do it now? They're offering you some cash for keys. She goes, I'm not moving. 
there's an eviction moratorium. I did want to tell her, uh, you're in the county, not the city. So, but, um, and she said, besides that, there's nowhere to move. I said, where'd you hear that? She goes, on the news. You know, <laughs> so I said, well, actually, if you get online or you go drive around, you'll find places that have vacancies. Uh, uh, but anyway, it, it, and she was a squatter too, by the way. And squatters, squatters are tough um, because it's even finding out whether or not they're squatters or not. A squatter is someone who moves into a property without the consent of anyone who was there before with permission. A former tenant may have just simply left, thrown the keys at their buddy and say, hey, you deal with it. Technically, that person's not a squatter. He's an unauthorized subtenant, and it's a different notice than a squatter. Um, sometimes you don't want to do a cash for keys with a squatter because you don't know whether or not you're dealing with a legitimate occupant there and what's to keep him from bringing someone else in. Um, foreclosures, that's always an issue. You don't know who the former owner is, have no contact with them, don't know the terms or the status of the people who are still there. If they're not the former owners, they're either squatters or tenants, but it's, it's a very dangerous situation coming in how we deal with folks during a, uh, who are still there after a foreclosure. So yeah, a lot of, lot of issues that probably would warrant a call to, to someone like myself. So I'm gonna ask you two questions as we get come to the end of our show. Uh, the two of them are, what's the best advice you can give a landlord? And number two, what's the best advice you can give a tenant? Well, the best advice is like going back to doing good business. Um, I think on both sides of the contract at some point, we become very principled, we become very stubborn, we get, we get, we want to, I don't, we want more than, we want our justice, we want some, some uh, sense of, of fairness, and we lose sight of the, the longer range goal is that, you know, they're in your property, they can probably exact a lot of damage and make your life really bad, so you need to kind of, you know, try to be more result oriented, and if it's a possibility to salvage this thing, even though it may, like you said earlier, wave a month's worth of rent you should try to do so try not to let your personalities into the combination into the into the, into the uh, transaction it's nice to have a third party like me come in because when i deal with somebody i don't have the emotional baggage that's been building all along especially in the mom and pops because it's your property there's a sense of you know pride and, and you just don't want folks in that you don't want you know and what advice would you give a tenant in 30 seconds or less oh um you know if you may feel like you've got some rights but you may have to go to court to prove it and if you don't win in court you're going to be very bad off and wish you had taken the offer beforehand so so try to work it to, out if you go to court that's called litigation why not communication that's yeah communicate with your landlord that's correct there you go want to thank you, Louie, for coming in today, helping us out. And thank you to all our listeners for tuning in every week. We appreciate you. Thank Take you, care. Don. Bye-bye.